Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10. No, it's 610. No, it's not even that. It's 10 after 6 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is, let's see, uh, oh, the 2nd of October, 2020. And, you know, dude, everything is completely fine. You know, I, I'm feeling pretty good about, I'm feeling pretty good about today. S- specifically, I'm, I'm speaking of the fact that, you know, nothing could possibly go wrong at this point, right? So let's get all the way into the news and start off with this one from Joseph Young writing for btctimes.com. Uh, who says that, uh, oh, wow, it's good news, bro. Quarter three, 2020 officially closes as as Bitcoin's second best quarter. The third quarter of 2020 officially closed as the second best quarter in Bitcoin history with a September candle at 10,776. With That's recording a, a 17.9% quarterly gain. Surely we are on track for greatness. I'm serious. No, we're, we're on track for greatness. It's going to be fine. The only time Bitcoin achieved a highly quarterly close was the fourth quarter of 2017 when the Bitcoin price gained over 210% over the course of three months and closed at around 13,660. Thank you for using the lower number on that side. Everybody uses 2020 or the 20,000 number and it's we were there for like maybe a day. It's it's a blip in the lifetime, okay? Despite the red monthly candle close in the month of September, Traders generally remain neutral or cautiously optimistic. Bitcoin enters the fourth quarter with significant uncertainty in the broader financial market. The United States economy is gradually recovering from the pandemic-induced downturn, but faces several key risks, most notably the resurgence of COVID-19 cases in the United States has intensified the nervousness in the stock market. Since the September 2nd peak, the S&P 500 dropped by 6.08%, which is data from Google Finance. The stimulus stalemate and the lack of clarity around vaccines are placing additional pressures on equities. Whether Bitcoin could perform strongly despite the stock market slump in the fourth quarter remains the major challenge. Bitcoin has numerous fundamental catalysts that could buoy its price in the medium term. Its hash rate is at an all-time high, which is positive as it comes after Bitcoin's third block reward having on May the 11th. Since miners earn less after a halving, the hash rate tends to drop after each halving. Although the hash rate did initially decline, it quickly recovered, achieving new highs. We're going to be fine. Atop the record high hash rate, Bitcoin's post-halving cycle remains a potentially positive factor for its medium-term price. After the previous halving, it took Bitcoin 15 months to peak at 20,000, setting a record high that is yet to be breached. Since the latest having occurred in May, that would make a rally by mid-2021 probable. The confluence of Bitcoin being in a post-having cycle 
with a strong hash rate and rising network activity strengthens its medium-term outlook. According to Suna Ahmez, a general partner at Volt, active addresses on the Bitcoin blockchain hit an all-time high. Alongside the hash rate, she said, quote, Bitcoin active addresses are at an all-time high, with a basically looking at a 200-day moving average, with a fraction of 2017 press coverage. This is what healthy substantive growth looks like, end quote. Two metrics that measure the blockchain network's user activity and security are both at record highs, which could aid the recovery of Bitcoin throughout the fourth quarter heading into 2021. Oh, thank God we're saved. I mean, honestly, this is just, this is good news. So let's, let's look at what's next. New York times, Nathaniel Popper's, uh, let's see. Owners of BitMEX, a leading Bitcoin exchange face criminal charges. Okay. No, I'm sure it's going to be fine. I do this as fine.gif, okay? Let's let's see what Nathaniel has to say. It's got to be a mistake. American authorities brought crim- criminal shit. Whoa. American authorities brought criminal charges on Thursday against the owners. Owners? All of them? Okay. Okay. Hold on. You go into a holding pattern there for a second. Needed a slug of coffee because I, I'm clearly I'm reading this wrong. Everything's got to be fine. So let's let's try this again. Criminal charges on Thursday against the owners of one of the world's biggest cryptocurrency trading exchanges, BitMEX, accusing them of allowing the Hong Kong-based company to launder money and engage in other illegal transactions. Dude, we're so hosed. No, just kidding. Look, I knew. Honestly, if I was, I would have had to have been living under a rock not to know that this shit happened. In fact, I was laughing so hard. I was laughing as hard at, at my Twitter feed as hard as I was when people were tweeting about the presidential debates. And this one came, before I continue, I want to tell you about this one that came down the pipe. That's the fight, the final fight scene in the Matrix between the Smith agent and Neo where Neo's already been shot, got back up, stopped a fleet of bullets from coming at his ass with just his freaking hand, and then begins to fight Smith. And all the time that he's doing that one-handed motion, it's like just on the face of Smith, it's like FUD, BitMEX, this, that, the other. And Neo's just like, dude. And I swear to God, I felt exactly like that. I felt exactly like that when the BitMEX news broke last night. I was like, Somehow or another, I was unfazed to the point that I thought that there might be something wrong with me. But then I realized this is just, you're, I'm just, I'm finally, after five years, I'm used to it. It takes five years to get to at least, at least for me anyway, it takes five years to get to the point where you're just like, I just don't care. I don't have the energy to care because it's not going to matter. We've seen everything under the sun. We've seen China ban Bitcoin three times. It's the largest country on earth per capita, right? Three times it's banned Bitcoin. And all of a sudden, and and here's the other thing. One of the reasons why I wasn't unfazed. What surprised me the most is how long this shit took. Dude, Arthur Hayes has been thumbing his nose at authorities since the entire thing began. 
that's what was so great. That's what's so great about Arthur Hayes. I don't even know if they're going to be able to catch his ass. He may, he may turn into a man on the run. I guarantee you that if anybody doesn't give a sh- I, I guarantee you, if there's somebody out there in the world that's like, I can give all this up and go hike through the mountains of Chile and you will never find me. That's the kind of guy that I kind of think that Arthur Hayes probably is where he's like, I just, I'm in it for the, I'm in it for the lulls. So God help you, CFTC, SEC, FBI, CIA, and any other governmental three-letter or alphabet soup, you know, agency. Good luck. If you catch them, hey, that's, you know, that's good for you. But if you don't catch them, honestly, at this point, I'm kind of rooting for Arthur Hayes. I have never liked the 100x leverage that he allowed on that shit because I think it got people wrecked. But he offered it as a choice. You didn't have to take leverage. If you took leverage and you got hosed, that's on you. It's not on Arthur. And BitMEX has been really good to Bitcoin, by the way. Over the years where other people faltered and did really stupid shit instead and said really stupid things, BitMEX never faltered. Okay, they are a shitcoin exchange. I get it. But I, you know, what am I going to do? Call Arthur up on the phone and say, hey, stop shitcoining? No, that's not going to happen. So you got to deal with it. But all the people that are bitching that are praising this, you are praising the wrong thing. You are praising the wrong thing because all this shit is, especially you DeFi assholes, this is going to come back and it's going to haunt you to death. And if you're holding bags of DeFi coins, I'd get rid of them now because this shit just started. Be prepared. Be like Neo. Learn how to fight the FUD. Okay. So continuing on, BitMEX is far from the first cryptocurrency company to be suspected of facilitating criminal activity, but it is the largest and most established exchange to face criminal charges. Federal prosecutors in Manhattan indicted the chief executive of BitMEX, Arthur Hayes, and three co-owners, Benjamin Dello, Samuel Reed, and Gregory Dwyer. Mr. Reed was arrested, physically arrested, in Massachusetts on Thursday while the other three men remained at large, authorities said. Prosecutors said BitMEX had taken steps to limit customers even after being informed that the exchange was being used by hackers to launder stolen money and by people in countries under sanctions like Iran. Now, quote, BitMEX made itself available as a vehicle for money laundering and sanctions violations, the indictment released on Thursday said. BitMEX has handled more than $1.5 billion worth of trades every day recently, making it one of the five biggest exchanges on most days. BitMEX and Mr. Hayes have been known for pushing the limits in the unregulated cryptocurrency industry. That is an understatement, bro. After it was founded in 2014, BitMEX grew popular by allowing traders to buy and sell contracts tied to the value of Bitcoin known as derivatives or futures with few of the restrictions and rules that were in place on other exchanges. That allowed investors to take out enormous loans and make very risky trades. That's the whole 100x leverage thing. The relaxed attitude also made it possible for people all over the world to easily move money in and out of BitMEX without the basic identity checks that can prevent money laundering. In August, BitMEX put into place some of those verification checks. Mr. Hayes is from Buffalo, I guess New York, Buffalo, New York, and previously worked as a trader at Deutsche Bank and City after graduating from the University of Pennsylvania. 
He incorporated BitMEX into Seychelles, even though its offices were in Hong Kong and New York. Mr. Hayes chose Seychelles because it cost less to bribe Seychellois authorities, just a coconut, than it would to uh, than it would cost to bribe regulators in the United States and elsewhere, according to the indictment. Dude, you, it's, he was saying it as a joke, even though it was probably damn true. Still, putting somebody's joke in an indictment is kind of I don't know. That's kind of gay. A spokesperson for HDR Global Trading Limited, one of the corporate entities controlling BitMEX, said, quote, We strongly disagree with the United States government's heavy-handed decision to bring these charges and intend to defend the allegations vigorously, end quote. BitMEX has been reported to be under investigation by American authorities since last year. <laughs> Bet it was longer. On Thursday, American cryptocurrency experts said that they were not surprised by the ex- that the exchange would attract scrutiny given its freewheeling attitude. Quote, the vast majority of firms that service the United States are compliant, so it's not surprising that the government would now turn to those that refuse to follow the law, said Jerry Brito, the executive director at Coin Center, a research and lobbying group in Washington. So there you go. This starts the BitMEX dip. Now, so what did we see on the BitMEX dip? Well, God, we went from, what, 10,800 down to 10,440. Where are we at right now? Hold on for a sec. We're at 10,445. We rec- had recovered a little bit, but now it's it's dropped again. Continue to hold on for the dip. That's You're either going to be able to survive this stuff for the long term, or you need to punch out. You need to give up your coins. You need to sell them all so that the people that have stronger hands that have seen much more much worse shit than this can buy them all because that's exactly what we're doing. We are looking at this as, oh my God, cheap sats, cheap sat again. And we're going to have cheap sats for a while and it's going to be okay because unless you are planning on getting hit by the, by a bus in the next 10 years, your patience will pay off. Your diligence will pay off. Allow yourself to be paid off. Let's see what else we got going on. Oh, yes. The BitMEX press release. I am in love with this press release. On October the 1st, the BitMEX or blog.bitmex.com released the following. In response to reports of the United States Commodity Futures Trading Commission and Department of Justice's decision to file charges against HDR Global Trading Limited and related parties, we have the following statement. FU and FU again. That's the short version. Here's the long version. We strongly disagree with the United States government's heavy-handed decision to bring these charges and intend to defend the allegations vigorously. From our early days as a startup, we have always sought to comply with applicable U.S. laws as those laws were understood at the time and based on available guidance, end quote. That's the first FU. Here's the second one. In the meantime, the BitMEX platform is operating entirely as normal and all funds are safe. To allay any potential customer concerns, pending withdrawal requests were processed at 1745 UTC in line with our standard procedures. We will process another off-cycle withdrawal at 8 UTC on the 2nd of October 2020 and then again at 13 UTC as usual, if you have any further inquiries, please contact support. Surprised I didn't give Inverse Bra's Twitter account name as a final and third FU. That's exactly how I would have written it. 
I would have been like F you, F you, and F you again. So how's it? How's the second one in F you? Dude, they're processing withdrawals. There's nothing. There's nothing frozen yet. There's nothing frozen about BitMEX. Maybe right now as I speak because I haven't checked it. But as of yesterday, they were processing withdrawals. So let's see exactly the extent to which the withdrawals have occurred. Tim Copeland is writing this one sometime this morning for Decrypt.co. BitMEX traders. Oh, look, they withdrew a quarter of a billion dollars of Bitcoin in one hour. Talk about BitMEX's back end makes Coinbase's back end look like a freaking joke, okay? Traders withdrew 23,200 Bitcoin from BitMEX exchange after the CFTC accused it of criminal activity and arrested the chief technology officer. Good God. $243 million from the exchange in a single hour, according to data provider Glassnode. This came after the CFTC CFTC issued charges against it yesterday and arrested the CTO. This amounts amount of Bitcoin represented 13% of the amount of Bitcoin held on the exchange. An estimated sum, <coughs> excuse me, COVID, of 170,000 Bitcoin or $1.8 billion, bro. Glassnode added that this was the single greatest amount of Bitcoin withdrawn in a single hour from the exchange. BitMEX is an exchange known for offering high leverage trading against Bitcoin up to 100x. And if you take it, that's your fault. Sorry, that's me, not Tim. And it is based in the Seychelles and had low KYC requirements for its traders. As Decrypt reported, the CFTC issued charges against BitMEX yesterday with operating an unregistered trading platform, failing to impose anti-money laundering procedures and other violations. In a separate indictment unsealed yesterday, the United States Attorney for the District of New York also filed criminal actions against the exchange's owners, Arthur Hayes, Ben Dello, and Samuel Reed, for violating the Bank Secrecy Act and conspiracy to violate the Bank Secrecy Act. The feds also arrested Gregory Dwyer, whose Twitter bio describes him as the head of business development at BitMEX. I thought he was a CTO. Oh, no. Gregory Dwyer was not the guy arrested. They haven't made their correction yet. It was, uh, I think it was Samuel Reed, the CTO, who was actually arrested. So it was not Gregory Dwyer. He is still at large. Ooh, he's scary. Big, scary, at large man. I wonder if he's armed and dangerous with his no AML shit. Anyway, uh, let's see. He, but Dwyer was charged with one count of violating the Bank Secrecy Act and one count of conspiring to violate the Bank Secrecy Act. So, there's going to be like probably three or four guys. Each one of them are going to have a single uh, count of conspiring to, or a single count of violating the BSA and then a single count of conspiring or conspiracy uh, to violate the BSA. Okay. So anyway, BitMEX denied the charges and basically gave a couple of FUs <laughs> in their statement. Again, this is why I like Arthur Hayes. Now you can hate him. If you hate him because you got hosed, I get it. I'm sorry. Don't ever, I, this is why I don't trade. It's why I don't keep my Bitcoin on an exchange. That and I, I don't trade, so I don't need it on an exchange. So there's that. I don't take, if I did trade, I sure as shit wouldn't take leverage. But if I did trade, I might actually find myself in a completely different mindset. If I'm trading, I'm gambling. And if I'm gambling, I might want to gamble more. What better way to gamble more than 100x leverage? That is unethical. It's immoral. 
I don't think it should be done. But Arthur can run his company however Arthur wants to run it. And if he wants to get indicted, that is Arthur's choice. I just, you know, it, that's the that's the way this shit rolls out, okay? Honestly, I wouldn't worry about it too much. Except that if you're impatient, then you can worry all you want and sell all your coins and get the hell out and go on to greener pastures. The rest of us, we're in this shit for the actual fight. All right, so there's that. Okay, now, <clears throat> the the here's the the other side of the story is how this BitMEX thing is going to affect, you guessed it, DeFi. Because these guys are going to get hosed. Why BitMEX's legal troubles aren't good for DeFi. Gee, you think? Sharwa Malwa is going to tell us why from Decrypt.co sometime this morning. U.S. court summons for the three co-founders of Bitcoin Derivatives Exchange BitMEX saw mixed reactions in the crypto industry, particularly that of the demise of centralized exchanges, or CEX, and the rise of their decentralized counterparts, DEX. However, some say the growing decentralized finance market is not wholly out of the regulator's reach. Adam Cochran, a partner at investment firm Cinemahane Ventures, and head of strategy at privacy browser DuckDuckGo said the U.S. Bank Secrecy Act meant DeFi apps could see trouble ahead. The BSA essentially says, if you in any way knowingly, purposely, or through failure to meet industry standards, support, enable, facilitate, or profit from money laundering, we're going to throw the book at you, noted Cochran. Okay. Almost all DeFi apps operate as peer, on a peer-to-peer design, meaning all trades, transactions, and transfers are done with another platform user instead of dealing with the company's internal trading desk. This makes a truly decentralized market where any activity is not dependent on the status of a DEX's developers or founders, but that's only theoretical. Quote, the DOJ has pursued individuals on site likes, sites like Local Bitcoins and Paxful with having been involved with facilitating money laundering or failing to comply with preventative measures, explained Cochran. While both the site he referred are marketed as peer-to-peer, their users have faced legal action. Quote, the only thing that matters is, do you make it easier for criminals in the United States to exchange monetary instruments without applying the U.S. standards of KYC AML, added Cochran. Quote, you can find that developers with admin keys, users who create front ends, companies hiring individuals to work on the protocol, and others who enable or profit from the contract, yeah, contract to be in violation of the BSA. Cochran wasn't alone in raising concerns for the burgeoning DeFi market. Bill Bar- Barheit, I think it's B A R H Y D T, co founder of crypto wallet Abra, shared the sentiment. DeFi services are not sufficiently decentralized today to have no central off switch. That means the companies behind them are at risk. Oracles are another problem, said Barheit. He further cautioned, this is a warning shot for DeFi service providers who think that the regs don't apply to them. That's pure nonsense. A lawyer up now, the argument Cochran and Byheart made is similar to how the entities uh, entities or individuals behind peer-to-peer darknet marketplaces have been previously arrested and or face legal action in the U.S. Widely popular web domains such as Silk Road have been seized as well, meaning regulatory clampdown is capable of effectively killing off user activity without even targeting the actual tech. So while DeFi proponents may be excited at the prospects of their favorite apps gaining global acclaim, the regulators might just spoil that party. 
I'm telling you, man, if you're holding the bags, get out. This is why I Bitcoin. Let's run the numbers. All right, clearly this is going to be a shorter show than normal. Maybe, maybe not. You never know what'll what'll happen on the other end. But right for right now, yeah. Uh President Trump came down with COVID, if you if you don't know. Both him and his wife have tested positive. So we've we've got the reaction from people with money. Apparently they're panicking. I swear a bunch of this is just a bunch a world full of pansies is what we're dealing with here. Oil is down four percent. Uh West Texas Intermediate is gonna cost you thirty-seven dollars a barrel. Brenton North Sea is gonna cost you thirty-nine. It's also down four percent. Natural gas is down two point three percent, so it'll be about two dollars and fifty cents to buy a thousand cubic feet of the smelly stuff. Gold also down. We're at nineteen. It's gonna come in at nineteen what, one thousand nine hundred and thirteen bucks. That's down only 0.4%. Silver is down almost a full point. It's going to come in at 24 bucks an ounce. Platinum is down over a full point, and it's going to come in under $900 an ounce. Let's see. Let's see what the panic looks like in the uh, indices. Let's see. Oh, yeah. It's going to be an ugly goddamn. It's going to be an ugly open, bro. Dow futures are down one and a half. Uh, it's going to come in at 27286 somewhere around there. S&P futures are down a point and a half. NASDAQ futures are down two and a quarter. And the S&P mini is down 1.76. Yay, yay, yay. Even real money's had a problem, but that's because Arthur Hayes is thumbing his nose at everybody. So one BTC is now 10,470 bucks. Okay, (laughs) that looks like, is that going to be the high? That is going to be the high. The low is going to be over at GDAX at, you know, it's going to be at hit BTC 10,454. So there's some arbitrage room there. <clears throat> Market, oh, sorry, transactions. Um, just a hair under 300,000 transactions were performed in the last 24 hours. That's 12,325 transactions on average per hour. 2.42 million BTC have been traded in the last 24 hours, that's about 101,000 BTC being traded, uh, transacted every hour on the hour. Let's see, 8.21 BTC is the average transaction value, while 0.061 BTC is the median transaction value, and that's high. That's 642 bucks. Block times are pretty high, uh, 11 minutes and 20 seconds, whereas they should be 10 minutes. Let's see, 0.9 BTC are being taken in fees on a per block basis, and 115 BTC have been taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. Precipitous drop of 14.3% of hash rate brings us all the way down to 123 exahashes per second, which as of a couple of months ago was the all-time high. Just I'm just saying, keep, keep, when in doubt, zoom out and keep your shit in perspective. Ethereum is at 338. Bcash at 215, BSV at 158, Litecoin at 44. Wow, poor Litecoin. Ethereum Classic is at $5.16. Doge also took it on the chin or muzzle, as the case may be, at 0.0026. But at 41,000 transactions in the last 24 hours, it beats Ethereum Classic. 
as well as B Bitcoin Cash or the ever loved B Cash. Litecoin still holding high at 129,000 transactions in the last 24 hours. Clark Moody is looking at a price of $10,478. We have 1,117 BTC for total capacity in the Lightning Network. That's $11.7 million of liquidity, and that's over 7,569 nodes with 37,413 channels between them. We have, uh, let's see, oh, Tor is the same. 49.6% of the Lightning Network is running over Tor, which means that it has 554.1 BTC for its base, and that's on 2,472 nodes. That's going to do it for Vitals. BitMEX Airlines wants to thank you for flying the friendly skies. We don't know who you are and we don't care. We are now coming out of all the stories about BitMEX and going to drift over there to the terminal where you can pick up your baggage and a Starbucks. More than a half of all crypto exchanges have no or weak ID verification. All right, so we're... We're on the glide path to get out of this, but this is sort of on the heels of all the BitMEX stuff. So more than half of all exchanges worldwide have weak KYC identification protocols with exchanges in Europe, the US, and the UK among the worst offenders, according to a new study by blockchain analysis firm CypherTrace. Anupam Varshney is writing this for Cointelegraph sometime very early this morning. CypherTrace analyzed more than 800 Decentralized, centralized, and automated market maker exchanges and found 56% of them did not follow KYC guidelines at all despite anti-money laundering regulations. The highest number of such exchanges are in Europe, a region renowned for stricter regulations. However, 60% of European virtual asset service providers have deficient KYC practices. Thank God. The U.S. and U.K. and Russia are the three countries with the highest number of exchanges with weak KYC. Singapore is also at the top of the pack when it comes to counts of combined weak and porous VASPs. The study found that many exchanges do not bother to mention the country of origin on their website or terms and conditions. This appears to be deliberate. Of those exchanges, 85% had a frail KYC framework. This implies some exchanges are hiding their jurisdictions to avoid having to register or comply with AML regulation. The report notes that 70% of exchanges registered in the Seychelles have poor KYC norms, making the small island country a breeding ground for potential money launderers. That's a lot of money laundering, man. I'm pretty sure there's not, you know, I'm pretty sure that half of the world's population is not engaged in freaking money laundering. Please stop the narrative. The study also examined 21 DEXs, or decentralized exchanges, and found that a whopping 81% had weak or no know-your-customer practices. Good. Screw them. However, DEXs aren't necessarily good venues for money laundering. CypherTrace noted that even though 7.9 million of crypto stolen in the KuCoin hack was sold on decentralized exchange Uniswap, it wasn't laundered there. The hacker isn't using DEXs to hide their tracks. They're doing it so they can sell their stolen token, said Elliptic co-founder Tom Robinson. DeFi projects offer traditional financial activities 
like lending, borrowing, and earning interest, which means that they could fall into the same regulatory framework as the banks and other regulated financial institutions. Quote, these are all financial activities that are likely subject to various laws already, including securities law, potentially banking and lending laws, definitely AMLCTF laws, said CEO or SEC crypto czar Valerie Sapanik. God, that's a hell of a name. Earlier this month, Dave Jevin, CypherTrace's chief executive officer, said he didn't believe DeFi protocols would accept regulations easily. Quote, from what we've experienced over the last couple of months is that they don't want to have anything to do with KYC. Really? That's good. Sorry. that I'm serious. This has become ridiculous. These, all these people really just need to leave us alone. And they need to leave all, you know, most of the banks alone and let... Look, if there if D, if fraud is going to happen, fraud is going to happen. That's human nature. And it helps weed out the weak and the stupid, okay? I'm going to I'm just stating that right now. This kind of shit weeds out the weak and stupid people. But because of AML, KYC, not only is all of our data in danger because it's kept and then hacked in tranches, <clears throat> it doesn't do anything but further the protection of the weak. If you're weak enough to fall for a scam, then I'm sorry. If you didn't protect your money in a way that even would protect it from a scam, even if you were just like, you know, hey, had it locked into some kind of escrow or something like that, okay? There are ways, there are ways to be smart about investigating whether or not something is a scam without losing all of your damn money. If you're somebody who jumps full, you know, both feet into a scam without even asking questions, then you deserve everything you get. I don't need the United States Securities and Exchange Commission and the CFTC helping people out, quote unquote, across the world because they're stupid. I don't need it. You know, and at one point or another, there's going to hopefully enough people will wake up and just start doing decentralized stuff that is actually decentralized. There's no offices. Everybody works from remote over tour and just, you know, Honestly, kind of be like Arthur, but be smarter than that, okay? So last quote of this story is, quote, they just have, or sorry, they just say they are writing software while they get beneficial funds from it. They are not operating it, but it's interesting to see what the governance of the platform is, which often happens to be from venture capital-backed companies. Jevons added he didn't think DeFi would escape regulations for long. Oh, not only are they not going to escape regulations, people are going to go to jail. And so uh, continuing on our glide path to a soft landing here, Venezuela trials decentralized stock exchange that opens the world. Samuel Haig is writing this for Cointelegraph sometime early this morning. Uh, Venezuela's National Security Superintendency, whatever the hell that is, has given the go-ahead for a 90-day pilot of a crypto-powered decentralized stock exchange in the country that aims to have a global reach despite international sanctions. Cointelegraph Espanol reports that news of the decentralized stock exchange of Venezuela's authorization to operate was published in the country's official gazette issue 6,578 on September the 29th. The exchange is known as BDVE, And its website claims that the platform comprises the first decentralized stock exchange in the world. It highlights that users will be able to access the exchange from anywhere in the world without restrictions. Both fiat currencies and alternative digital assets will be traded on BDVE. 
Quote, BDVE represents a new and innovative segment of the stock market, which with the use of new information and communications technology provides the investor with security and control over its financial assets. The local securities watchdog will determine whether the exchange will be granted a license to continue trading after the 90-day trial is over. The platform's operating manual notes that the securities traded on the platform will comprise ERC-223 and ERC-721 tokens, or a third packable token. While the document does not contain the word Ethereum, use of the popular Ethereum token standard suggests that the platform, well, may indeed be built on Ethereum. <clears throat> that, yeah, okay. Good job selecting Ethereum right before they try to transition to Ethereum 2.0 and completely remove proof of work to go to proof of stake. Good, good job there. That's, that's, that's exactly what you should be doing is go select a platform that's moving to some, uh, some weird shit that even they can't get to work. That's brilliant. Good job. Surprisingly, the manual does not mention whether Venezuela's oil-backed uh, cryptocurrency, the El Petro, will be utilized by the exchange. Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro announced on the same day a new anti-sanctions bill intended to mitigate the impact of economic sanctions imposed by the United States. The bill, which is currently being reviewed by Venezuela's natural, National Constituent Assembly, noted that both private and state-backed crypto assets could be used to conduct trade before the reach, oh, beyond the reach of U.S. sanctions. Yes, Maduro thumbing his nose at the United States. The problem is, is that Maduro is a complete asshole. I mean, you know, at one point or another, we got to get some good people, you know, in power on this planet. I don't think that's ever going to happen. I think good people stay away from power. I think somehow or another, you know, if civilization is going to be any, and I'm not looking for it, you know, I'm not saying I know how to do this. I'm just saying that if this world is to be any fun at all, then we really got to stop with this whole I'm president or I'm a senator or I'm this and I'm that and I get to make laws and regulations. And it's like, I've seen nothing but heartache from that situation. At what point do we learn? Well, apparently we're never going to learn anything because Martin Young is going to tell us the, uh, the answer to this question. Are social tokens the next big thing? This is for Cointelegraph sometime late, very late or very early last night, depending on where Martin Young lives. Oh, God. Social tokens or tokens backed by the reputation of an individual brand or community are gaining traction, and some believe they could be the next big thing in the cryptocurrency community. But what are they, and why are artists, musicians, and social media influences, influencers rushing to tokenize their efforts in order to gift or sell them to followers? Social tokens are a little different to the slew of DeFi liquidity farming tokens that have appeared over the past couple of months. <clears throat> They are built around an ownership economy principle with the, with the premise that a community will be more valuable tomorrow than today. Creators can monetize their work as a non-fungible token or a social token, and supporters can give something back to show their loyalty. Just send me Bitcoin. I, it's, it's not that hard. Influencers minting their own tokens to offer them as rewards or sell them for additional revenue. Cooper Turley from Audius explained in Bankless today, quote, social tokens provides a means of not only sharing financial upside with their favorite 
creative, but also enables tiered tokenized access based on active contributions. You mean like PayPal or no, what was it? Uh, Patreon. I mean, okay. I don't like Patreon, by the way. I mean, you can do that shit with BTC pay server from what I understand. For example, artist Laura Driscoll runs a popular Instagram channel and produces autonomous sensory mediation or meridian response or, oh, the ASMR videos to aid in relaxation and sleep. <clears throat> she now has created her own ERC20 social token called Tingle for her followers to buy in exchange for further interaction or purchasing merchandise. My God, the egos on these people. Grammy award winning artist Rack, aka Andre Allen Anjos has just announced a token created with Zora, a platform for artists, creators, and brands to craft their own markets. The token will be distributed to subscribers of various associated platforms and used to unlock access to various perks and exclusive content. RAC stated, quote, crypto enables communities to capture the value they create instead of being monetized by pre-existing platforms. And RAC is an active experiment pushing the envelope on these primitives. End quote. A startup based in New York called Roll has taken things a step further by offering to mint Ethereum-based branded digital tokens or social money for influencers and creators. <clears throat> there are around 160 social tokens currently offered on Roll, and the number is growing as everyone from rappers to NBA stars to entrepreneurs experiment with this latest method of monetizing content and incentivizing community loyalty. Tokenomics... <laughs> Jesus, they're using it as an actual word. No, tokenomics vary depending on the objectives of the creator, but they all have one thing in common. Participants all have financial exposure and share in the growth. Do not buy this crap for a second. Okay, look, this isn't about investment advice. Look, if you want to buy this shit, you go right ahead. I, I, I don't get it. If you're just... If like, for instance, if you want to participate in my community, this is the way you do it. You say hello to me on Twitter. If I ever get a website up and I have BTC pay server, flip me some Satoshis. You can do that. Uh, and hopefully bottle pay will be up, you know, later this year. Um, I hear they're, they've stated that they're coming back and I used to love bottle pay. Bottle pay was so easy to, you know, to do. And you can flip me some Satoshis there. If for whatever, like if I were to get a, um, an Amazon affiliate account and I started doing like product reviews, you know, go to my affiliate account before you were to buy anything on Amazon, whether you were buying what I suggest or buying something else and buy that and Amazon will give me some money, which I will immediately convert into Bitcoin. That's how you participate in a community. Yeah. I don't need a, a social token. Like I don't need like, you know, Nunya token, although that would be kind of funny. None you t actually, I might have to do that, but I re I can't. I refuse to spin up anything on the Ethereum blockchain. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I, I don't want to give them any of my energy whatsoever because I just think it's a worthless platform. Now, clearly, people are getting rich from it, so it's not worthless right now. I'm not looking at shit right now. I, I've, I'm over looking at stuff in the short term. I can't do it anymore because it doesn't make any sense. So anyway, there's... There's the rant on that one. And I do believe we are now out of the woods, maybe. Actually, no. I There's one. There's this one thing by um, Simon Chandler out of CryptoNews.com that I want to get to. 
it's again, it's about DeFi, but I think it contains a whole raft of narratives that you should be aware of going forward as to what to watch out for. Okay. Again, why do I cover DeFi? Look, there's a lot of people that don't care about this stuff to the point that they will not even talk about it. It is, and they can do whatever they want. And I, I, I salute them. I absolutely salute them. My thing is, is that I just come at it from a different standpoint. This is dangerous crap. And that danger is the, is shifting all the time as to just how dangerous it actually is. So let me do this one from Simon and we'll find out if this is some more bullshit narrative or not. Bitcoin and DeFi both had a good summer after the coronavirus-induced collapse of March. The price of Bitcoin rose from $3,500 USD to just over $12,000 in August, while the total value locked into DeFi platforms rose from $1 billion in USD in June to almost $12 billion in late September. It's tempting to view the performances of Bitcoin and DeFi as connected, <clears throat> given that the supply of, oh God, here we go, wrapped Bitcoin has ballooned from 500 WBTC to 90,000 WBTC in the past 12 months, it would seem that Bitcoin holders have been driving the growth of DeFi. However, <clears throat> industry figures speaking to CryptoNews.com said that whilst, well, whilst BTC has been a significant player in DeFi's growth, its importance within the DeFi ecosystem will wane over time. <clears throat> and while some may be tempted to regard Bitcoin and DeFi as interdependent, most commenters believe that each can survive without the other. There's little doubt that Bitcoin in particular, wrapped Bitcoin, has spurred at least a portion of DeFi's impressive growth over the past few months. $1.4 billion worth of BTC is locked in DeFi today. No, it's not. No, it is not. Or almost 13% of total value locked in decentralized finance projects. As data from DeFi Pulse indicates, the demand for wrapped BTC began rising exponentially from the end of June onwards. And data also indicates it was around the end of June that TL or the total value locked into DeFi platform suddenly began rising more strongly as Ethereum locked in DeFi jumped also this past summer. Industry figures agree that, that the two trends are connected, even if they have their own opinions as to how long the interconnection may continue. Quote, yes, I think the use of WBTC pair mining will boost the DeFi market to a certain extent, say crypto advisor and author Andy Lian. Quote, according to the data released today, the second day of Uniswap liquidity mining, 50% of miners use the WBTC ETH pair in the initial mining, and most of them are big whales, and nobody actually knows what the hell that means. What are you mining other tokens? See, this is where the this, this thing is, is falling apart. What they're trying to do here is stitch together a narrative that is going to decouple DeFi from actual money. And while it's probably going to work on the very, very, very weak-minded people, the true Jedi will not be swayed, okay? I'm just saying, this is what's going on, okay? You're, you're being saturated. All Well, actually, all of us are being saturated in narrative grease. Some of us will not, the grease will not stick to but I fear that a great many people at one point or another are going to be set on the path to one day all scream out in unison and suddenly silenced. So you see where this story is going. It's trying to do the decoupling thing, and I'm just I'm not going to <clears throat> bore you with the rest of it, but be aware 
you got two things on the horizon. Actually, you got three things on the horizon. One, social tokens. Okay, that's coming. That scam is coming, and it's coming hard, and it's going to be just as ugly as DeFi. Two, you've got DeFi who's trying to stand on its own legs and its own merits, and there are no legs, and there are no merits, and then it's going to be hosed by the third. The SEC, the CT, the, the CFTC have just gotten started, and since all these idiots are going to be able to be found like because they have either physical addresses or they're not doing due diligence on hiding their IP addresses or whatever, they're all going to get hosed. Stay out of the way and you will not get hosed. You will not get arrested and you will not get covered with grease. That's all I got to say about that one. Now the last one is daily hodl number of crypto users shatters 100 million worldwide says a Cambridge study. Daily Hodel staff writing for Daily Hodel. This would be October the 1st, so yesterday. University of Cambridge estimates that the number of global crypto asset users has increased by a whopping 189% since 2018. In its new global crypto asset benchmarking study, the Cambridge Center for Alternative Finance identifies up to 101 million unique crypto asset users, not wallets. They're actually saying unique crypto asset users Across 190 million accounts opened at service providers in the third quarter of 2020, the CCAF says the sharp increase may be due to both an increase in the number of existing accounts as well as a heightened ability to connect individuals to those accounts. Though staking in the crypto asset sector is primarily driven by retail investors, the CCAF's report also finds that a growing number of European and American institutional investors wish to expose their portfolios to crypto assets. According to the September report, BTC remains the most commonly available crypto asset across service providers. However, Ethereum has quickly grown in accessibility to become the second most supported token, followed by Litecoin, Bcash, and Ripple. The CCAF hypothesizes that Ether's swift rise in popularity is backed by the growing number of decentralized applications that are built upon Ethereum's blockchain and by the increasing number or demand of of and for ERC-20 tokens. Stablecoins have also seen a significant increase in availability since the CCAF's last report. The share of service providers that support Tether and non-Tether stablecoins from 2017 to 2020 jumped by 28% and 50% respectively. So there you go. Uh, Daily Hodel I have been reading a lot of because it is literally now has become a rag for nothing but um, price predictions chartists this is the only thing that i've seen from them in the last like four weeks that was worth reading i used to read a lot of stuff from the daily hodl i used to really like it but now sadly it's sort of turned into a charting free-for-all like for instance let's let's look at some of the headlines on daily hodl and this is why i don't read it um Oh, they keep, they talk about XRP all the time. Financial giant SBI to utilize crypto asset XRP in esports gaming industry. Guess what? Nobody gives a shit because it's probably a lie. XRP has a tendency to lie. And that's, oh yeah, uh, oh yeah. <clears throat> Explore Bitcoin, Tezos, Cardano, and eToro it's as a crypto roundup. Uh, Estonian LLCs have been granted the right to tokenize. Uh, let's see. Oh, 13 non-Ethereum DeFi projects on the move. When you, this is has turned into clickbait heaven. Okay, so this is why I'm not doing a whole lot of stuff from the Daily Hodel. 
if anybody from the Daily Hodel is listening to this, I'm not trying to give you shit. I am trying to tell you that you've become very uninteresting lately. I'm very sorry that that has occurred. You used to be one of my favorite websites to go to. Not anymore. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Well, I would give you guys a uh, um, train wreck, but honestly, Arthur Hayes has has given us enough of a train wreck for the in, for the rest of this week. Clearly, because there's only one day left throughout the weekend and probably well into next week, because God only knows what what Monday is going to bring. Okay, so y'all be careful out there. However, shall leave you with this: a dad joke. They said I couldn't be good at poetry because I'm dyslexic. But so far, I've made three jugs and a vase, and they are lovely. Yeah, it's going to be like a little joke grenade where you kind of pull the pin and throw it and just let it go off later. Anyway, uh, you guys have a really good weekend. For those of you who don't know, I'm going to just cover this a little bit. It's not a news story, but for those of you who don't know... um, The Azerbaijani forces and the Armenian forces are actually actively shelling and killing the shit out of each other right now, and they've been doing so for the last couple of days. Ask yourself this. Are you surprised about that news? I mean, insofar as, am I the first person that you've heard say anything about this? I have heard barely anything about this in Western media. Okay. Not without looking for it. I have to actually do or, or actively use Google search and Armenia and forces and war and battle and tanks and blowing shit up. I have to, you know, use those, those keywords in Google to find out anything about what the hell's going on in Armenia and the battle with, uh, Azerbaijan. I, uh, they're, they're neighbors. They, they share a border. And I can only assume that this is somewhere along the border, but apparently it's pretty bad. If you follow um, Malik, say, wait, Malik Manukanyan. I'm sorry, Malik. I'm butchering your name. It's not personal. I just, this is the thing I can't, I I have no idea how to pronounce your name. Anyway, he's from our, I believe, let me make sure before I insult him. He's in Armenia. So he's an Armenian. Uh, He's one of the guys who's been following me for a while. I follow him back. It's at M-E-L-I-K-M-A-N-U-K-Y-A-N. It's all one word. Uh, You might want to give him a follow if you're interested in what the hell's going on out there in Azerbaijan and Armenia. Um, I'm really sorry to hear about this. It and it's it's not like it's just a couple of people shooting at each other. It's like full scale tank shelling, and I think there's airplanes blowing shit up. I'm not exactly sure because I'm not getting hardly any news out of the West from it. But something bad's going on there, and you know, heart and prayers go out to Malik and him and his and all the people of Armenia and. And I have to actually say Azerbaijan because at this point I don't know who the aggressor is, and I really don't care. This whole war shit's got to stop. It's just, it's, I think we've outgrown it. And I mean, it's time to put on the big boy pants and leave the childlike stuff 
you know, to the wayside. It's the only way to move forward. And honestly, are we not bored by being here? Taxes, endless war, stupid people running countries, all these people getting rich by doing, you know, excessively horrendous things and yet go after somebody like Arthur Hayes. <laughs> the FinCEN files alone should have allowed the CFTC, the SEC, the FBI, and whoever else to hand down as many indictments as they possibly wanted. But no, they go after this dude in the Seychelles. That's where their energy is concerned because crypto and money laundering, even though 12 of the largest banks in the world, three of them from the United States, were engaged and proven to be complicit, they knew it was going on, they facilitated it, money laundering, and lax KYC shit. The stupid has is out of hand. Figure out a way over the weekend to deal with it yourself. Uh, if you have any ideas on how to get rid of all this shit, let me know. But I, I'm not holding my breath. But good vibes. Go out into the weekend. Don't worry about Arthur Hayes. I'm sure he's going to go water skiing or have a, a nice little boating accident. And I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.